Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. What if you knew exactly how to use cold email, LinkedIn, the phone, and other sales channels to get new meetings and customers for your B2B product or service? Morgan Williams is an enterprise sales rep that's obsessed with cold outreach. If you're sick and tired of fluff, theory, and general advice on how to sell to cold prospects from people who haven't sold anything in the past 20 years and instead want detailed, tactical, step-by-step instruction, this is the podcast for you. Each week, he'll interview salespeople, consultants, and entrepreneurs about actual outbound sales campaigns they've run with real numbers and results. Each conversation will be a deep dive into deconstructing a specific campaign's results, as well as the strategy behind it. You'll get the opportunity to peek behind the curtain and see what's actually working now in cold outreach. Welcome to Outbound Metrics. Cutter Consulting Group is a specialized advisory firm focused on inside sales call center operations that offer business-to-consumer or business-to-business products and services. The fundamental goal is to help companies achieve a profitable and scalable cost per acquisition through performance improvement of systems that support the sales process. This could include scripting, training, phone systems, technology solutions, and marketing optimization. Today, I'm joined by the CEO of Cutter Consulting Group, Jason Cutter, Jason, it's a pleasure to have you on. Are you ready to dive in? I am, Morgan. I think it's going to be fun. Any chance to talk about sales is uh, always always a blast. I agree. Absolutely. How do you get results as a consultant for your clients? It's funny in thinking about that and preparing for this. You know, One of the biggest steps is that the client, the company I'm working with, they have to have a culture of being open to things and to change, which is actually much bigger of a deal than it sounds, which we can yeah. go down that path. For me... The results and how I get results is helping companies shift from what I refer to as playing sales or playing at sales to building a scalable sales operation and having a business and a machine that's running where you know that if you put these inputs in, people, marketing, lead gen, whatever that looks like, you know what you're going to get out the back end and it's going to be exponential, right? So if you want to double your sales, it's not about doing hiring twice as many salespeople or doing twice as much marketing. It's about having systems that convert better. A lot of companies that I see, they start out at some level. Everyone has, right? I've seen it over and over again, where you just have to sell. You need to get revenue. You need to generate business. You need clients, whatever that looks like. Usually it's an owner that maybe they are either a salesperson or they're not a salesperson. So it could go either way. And then it reaches a critical mass where no longer is it just a group of people who know what to do. You have to hire other people. And that's where things start to break. When companies go, I'm going to hire 10 people and hopefully two work out. That is a terrible business model for the company, for the potential clients, for all the leads that they're tearing through who don't want to play that terrible game with you either. And the way I get results is putting things in place, even some 
nasty, dirty things that people don't want to talk about, like scripts or systems or processes, which salespeople don't like to admit is good, but in the end, it will work out. That's really how you do it and and get those results. Awesome. Who is Cutter Consulting Group's ideal customer? For me, it's anyone in a consultative sales process with something that the newest term I've been adopting and, and heard recently is a considered purchase, where somebody that could qualify, there is a yes or no, they qualify, and then it takes some kind of decision-making process, whether it's a, con- a consumer or it's a business, anything like that, where there's some sales cycle that's requiring a process, persuasion, decisions in that. And telephone sales is what I love the most because I think that's really hard. I think in-person sales is really easy because you get all the cues from body language and all these, right. all these things, right? Like they say, most of what we translate to other people is not through our words. It's through a lot of other things. And I think, you know, in-person is, is really easy. So phone is really hard and I had to learn it myself and go through that. So for me, the ideal customers, people with some kind of inside telephone sales team, where they have the desire to grow or to build systems and processes, whether they need a thousand people or they're okay with 20 sales reps, but they want to have it run like a machine. That's the key. And the fundamental thing, a lot of people, I've spent a lot of time in business to consumer sales and telephone sales. I love helping B2B. For me, there is no B2C or B2B. It's H to H, right? It's human to human. Even if you're selling to an enterprise organization, you're dealing with a human who has to make a decision, who's scared, who has their own fears, their issues, their drama, their baggage, and they're worried about losing their job if they make the wrong decision. So for me, it's it's all human to human. Like If that's the case, then I can help build it. Awesome. I want to dive into that and what you mentioned like when it comes to like, let's say your ideal customer, just to get the audience some context into like how you optimize these businesses to create this predictable, predictable machine. So let's say you, we've got like, what's an, an industry you like to work with? If it's on the B2C side, anything dealing with financial services, debt relief, something where someone's in a troubled situation and needs some help. Gotcha. What about, um, I should have prefaced, what about B2B on the B2B side? So B2B, I love marketing software, marketing systems, things that are going to help their clients generate more revenue. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So let's say we're you're in the first day of an engagement with like a MarTech software company and they have, you know, consultative sales process, multiple decision makers, inside sales team, and they want growth, right? They want that machine. So what are some of the things you start looking at when it comes to outbound sales and how to generate demand, things like that? Well, one of the biggest things when I start that kind of engagement, just so anyone knows who's listening, is not just assuming like, here's what we're going to fix and here's the cookie cutter formula and here's what we do. The first step I always start with is a gap analysis, which is a 24-point inspection that I do to determine, think of it as a doctor's exam, like you're here, you want to be there. What is it? Because there's so many layers. And I use this analogy of uh, the iceberg, right? Where What you see above the surface is only a small portion of the actual iceberg's mass. In sales, to me, what uh, you see above the surface of an iceberg in sales is the sale itself. It's the ringing the bell, it's hitting the gong, it's the high fives, it's celebrating. But to make it scalable, there's all these things under the surface that have to go well over and over again, from company culture to scripts, to systems, to technology, to the leads and data themselves, to training and recruiting. And there's a lot of things that go on. So once I do that phase, then we look at what does it take? 
normally from there, just making some blanket statements about what I've seen the most as the common trends is typically it comes down to coaching and management of the people that are in that role and helping them be successful and also the tools around them. So when you're talking about outbound and somebody's making those dials or doing that outreach, generally what happens is here's the framework, maybe here's some scripting and go, or here's some scripting that we know works, follow this or just do it on your own. And there's not somebody coaching them. Most of the organizations I see, the challenges, and anyone listening to this probably can resonate if you're in leadership, is the manager, the team lead, the branch manager, the director was once a salesperson in that seat or in a seat very similar to that. And the company said, hey, you're pretty good and we're growing and we need someone to fill the spot. So we'd like you to do it, right? Either asking or the term I learned from the military is voluntold, which is, hey, you're going to do this now, right? Right. And so what happens, you have this person who was good at a job, right? A good at the outbound, the outreach, sales, whatever that is. Now they're in a leadership role. And that causes a lot of challenges, which we can talk about. But one of the things is that what's always, I'm going to say always, it's pretty much 99.9% of the time, is that person when they get moved up is not given leadership management training, which is a totally different skill than sales. And so when I work with a lot of companies, I'm working at that level because if I can help them lead better, they can coach just like a good coach for a sports team, right? That person has to know how to lead and then it makes the world difference. Plus, then the tools, the systems, the technology, how do you facilitate what needs to happen? Because here's the thing, Morgan, is that if you have a sales team, it's 2021 when we're having this conversation, if you still have people at your company and they're on the phone, then what you need them to do is be a human having a conversation with another human. It's why I said earlier, human to human, right? Like it sounds cliche or it sounds silly, but it's true. That means that you have not found a way and the robots have not found a way to take over all those jobs and sell for you, right? There's chatbots that'll get you some of the way, some automation might help. At the end of the day, you know that if you have salespeople, it's because that's what it takes to get the deals over the finish line and help somebody buy, which means if you're leading these companies, your job is to help that person be in that zone of having conversations as much as possible. And then what I help companies do is fill in everything around that with systems and processes so that person can spend the most time and energy on the conversations and not on everything else. Got it. And I, I, wanted, I do want to touch on what you mentioned about leadership, management, and even earlier company culture uh, before getting to the sexy stuff too, like the software and the systems and the tools, because that is important. That is very important. I do. I agree with you on that. Like those are critical. So let's talk about those. I guess culture first, since that's more broad, and then leadership from someone coming from an IC role or individual contributor role to management. Yeah. So I think culture is huge. I mean, here's the fundamental thing. Every company has a company culture. They have a mission, they have a vision, they have core values. A lot of times they're unstated, right? They're not declared, they're not on the wall, they're not in the handbook. Like nobody knows what they are. The owner does, the founder does, the leaders knew. It's just there, right? Like even every family, family unit has a culture, mission, vision, and core values. A lot of times it's just everyone's assumptions of where they're going to go. And so that happens in organizations, especially when they're small. They're just trying to get by, they're trying to survive, get to the next level and then grow. 
but that culture is there and it's really important. At a certain size, you need to have it and not just need to have it, which I see organizations do, which says, oh, this consultant says we need to have a mission and a vision and core values. So we're going to do that in a retreat and then we're going to put it up on the wall and literally still nobody knows what it is, but we check that box. What you need, like that's, that's a word I don't use very often, but you need as an organization to have that be a part of your company, that mission, that vision, the core values. Two things why that's super important. One is because then your hiring decisions, your recruiting decisions are more about cultural fit than anything else. Like the first priority is cultural fit, because if you have the right cultural fit and depending on what your core values are, then somebody can learn the job. As much as everyone wants to say that sales is hard and you have to have this natural born salesperson, which you and I could debate, but I, I think that's, that's, that's a second show we could debate that on. None of that matters, right? You can have a natural born salesperson that's not a good fit for your company and not a good cultural fit. And it is terrible and painful. Just a matter of time before you want to fire them or lock them out of your building because it's just, it's just painful. Um, so culture fits important and then people can learn it. So I think that's huge for recruiting. You got to know who you want on your team, what that looks like, not just skills, right? I need someone who understands this. It's the, the cultural fit. And then the second part that's important is that once you have those, that culture established and your team knows it and your company knows it and everyone believes in it, then what happens is as you change as an organization, because change is a constant, right? Sometimes it's, hey, we're trying a new script today. Hey, we're getting new leads tomorrow. Hey, we're trying a new dialer platform next week. Or sometimes it's like a whole shift, like a big shift or what we mm -hmm. went through the last year and a half of the pandemic, right? Where the whole world has changed. If you have a strong culture, you will get through change easier and everyone mm -hmm. will be on board. Everyone always asks me, like, how do you manage change? How do you deal with change management? You have to have a strong culture, right? Because if everyone's not on the bus and they don't want to be on the bus wherever it's going, no amount of change management meetings are going to fix a single thing. And then uh, for leadership, moving from individual contributor to a manager role, yeah. what are some things you see there? You know, I think the biggest thing, if I had to, to say one thing to be aware of, is that we, and I'll try not to go on too, too deep of a rabbit hole with this, is that we're all human. I keep bringing this up, but we're all humans, right? One of the big things is that we have gotten to this point in our success as a species by two things. One is caring about ourselves more than anything else in our own survival, right? And being so self-centered that it's all about us. And then we're also a part of a tribe, which is how we've gotten here, right? There's a lot of animals out there. Most animals only care about themselves and their survival. Very few actually work together in a tribe. The challenge I see with most people, and I'm speaking for myself in, in some areas of our life, most of us assume in certain areas of our life or all of them that everyone sees the world that we do and everyone thinks the way we do. I know I get challenged by that. Like when I'm driving, as an example, I don't understand why everyone doesn't understand what the left lane is for and what the right lane is for on the freeway. Like I don't understand or what the, the blinky thing, right, is for in the car. Like sure. I, I don't understand how they don't understand that because I forget that everyone sees the world different. In sales, what happens is people are usually good in sales. They figure out their formula, their amount of charisma and storytelling and how they handle objections and, and what they do for rebuttals and how they move the process along. And they figure out their authentic mode of who they are and what they're good at. And that's them, right? And then what happens is they get into a leadership role 
And then they just assume that everyone sees the matrix like they do, mm-hmm. and then they struggle with it. So one of the biggest things I advise all new leaders or struggling leaders with is to treat everybody different, right? Like you wouldn't treat every client the same, or you're only going to close so many deals. Same thing is with your team. You got to understand, like if you are really motivated by money, you really loved big commission checks. Not everyone on your team is going to love that. Even as individual contributors, you think everyone is here for the money, right? No, not everybody is there for the money. They're there maybe for what the money represents, or maybe for what that means to them, but not in the same thing. So I see a lot of managers are like, Let's just run a contest because I loved money as a as a right. IC, so everyone's going to love this, and it falls flat for seventy five percent, fifty percent of their team, and they don't understand it. One of the biggest things is to remember that everybody's different; they're not you, uh-huh. right? And you've got to treat them different, coach them different, manage them different, incentivize them different, reward them different, discipline them different, right? Hold them accountable in different ways, and that's a huge shift mentally, and it's a tough one, but. That's a game changer for most leaders. Mm, I love that. We covered culture, we covered leadership, going into diving deeper into systems, technology, tools, coaching, scripts. Um, it's a lot there. Um, yeah. What are some like high level things we can look at there when it comes to optimizing performance through the lens of like outbound sales? I think the biggest thing is what I said a few minutes ago about the fact that what the job of your salespeople are is to have conversations, right? As much as possible, you want to facilitate that. Now, of course, there's going to be admin, there's going to be CRM work, there's going to be contracts, there's going to be emails, there's going to be these things they have to do. But the more you can fill in everything around them and just keep them in their sweet spot, right? Think of an athlete, a basketball player, right? Like I like basketball the most and I follow it the most. That basketball player has one job on the court. It's to do this one thing, right? That's what you're paying them for. That's what they need to do. Outside Mm -hmm. of the game, everything is about that one game and them being as good as they are physically, mentally being ready, watching game footage and all that stuff. Not being distracted with a whole bunch of other things that are getting in the way of what their focus should be on. And on sales, we forget that, right? So we don't put in the tools. The tools aren't there to replace them or make them harder what they do, it's to fill it in. And so whatever that looks like, if it's leads, if it's data, if it's automation, if it's speeding things up, sometimes it's slowing things down, right? Sometimes it's like, okay, we could dial a lot of people, but if they don't have good conversations and we're not giving them the right data in advance, that's not helpful. So what is that balance of preparing them, but also not letting somebody spend too long thinking about their outbound dials because then they're going to get stuck and they're not going to make enough dials and not have enough at-bats, right? I think that's important. The one biggest key, and this is where I see a lot of companies get it wrong, is they think that sales enablement tools and technology will fix or Mm. save their sales and revenue problem, right? They think hiring a nanny is going to raise their kids right and make them successful kids, right? And it's just, it doesn't doesn't work. If you have a broken sales operation with a broken culture and and under-trained, underperforming people, you know this. I promise you, anyone who's listening to this, you know this because you're like, you know what? They need a better CRM and I'm going to buy a better CRM. Oh, I'm going to buy a better phone system and a better dialer. Oh, I'm going to buy an easier chatbot for them. That'll fix it, right? And you're just throwing stuff at them. And the problem, it's the analogy I use as well is it doesn't matter how nice the golf clubs, you could buy me the most expensive golf clubs ever and give them to me. It won't matter. I will shoot 
a hundred plus. I promise. Hey. I will go through at least a dozen golf balls in 18 holes. I promise until mm-hmm. I work on my fundamentals and get better at golf. No amount of golf club tools and fancy putters and range find none of that stuff will matter for one minute in my hands. I don't know what I'm doing. On the flip side of that, what I see is let's say Tiger Woods, for example, right? Amazing golfer. You could give Tiger Woods some really terrible golf clubs and give me amazing golf clubs and he will destroy me every day of the week, even with bad tools, right? Good people don't blame their tools, but bad companies use tools to try to offset it. So you've got to make sure you have the systems in place. If you're not hiring the right people, if you're not training them properly and then coaching them and managing, right? Not just training them and saying, here you go. You should know what you're doing. Raise your hand if you have any issues. And I'm going to yell at you uh, when you're not hitting your KPIs. You have to have those things in place. Scripts. I'm glad you mentioned it because I was uh, was worried maybe you weren't going to mention it, but I know I know you well enough to know that you, you know you're going to support any of these things. Yeah. Um, I think scripting is important. You want a team that's going to follow a formula that you have proven. Now, right. if you don't want to write a script because you don't want to make people follow a process, because you don't have a process, then you have a bigger problem than just scripts and training. Because if you don't know what it takes, and I don't mean word for word, right? I mean, just the basic outlines, the rebuttals, the objections, the transitions. How do you handle this? What is the demo supposed to sound like? What questions are being asked? It's amazing to me how many companies literally don't have the basic things drawn out, scripted out, trained, coached, holding people accountable. It's like, that's some fundamental stuff you have to have. And again, the challenge is most people who fall into sales or end up in sales or like sales or drawn to it, they don't like constraints. They don't like structure, systems, processes. They just want to do what they want to do best, right? Let me just talk to people and close deals and stay out of my way, which is dangerous at scale. Yeah. I, I know you mentioned basketball. There's a couple things, a couple anecdotes I want to mention there. I think you'll get a kick out of. I don't know if you know them already, but there's a guy who wrote a book. I forget the name about it. Something with alter ego. The guy's name is Todd Herman. <clears throat> yep. He helped Kobe Bryant develop the Mamba uh, the Black Mamba um, alter ego in an effort to help improve his play on the court after his legal troubles to like separate Kobe Bryant on the court versus Kobe Bryant at home. And one thing I heard him talk about on a podcast was that, which I thought about immediately when you were talking about supporting, keeping them in conversations, is that that guy was meeting with a performance coach was working for this different like legendary based MLB performance coach. And he said the biggest shock to him was that like, so the guy was coaching Roger Clemens, for example, and like, he thought Roger was going to be like, Hey, I need help with this pitch or, you know, I'm having trouble doing this. But what it was, was I'm having these issues with my kids, with my wife. Like it was all this other stuff around his life. And it's like, how can he manage all this other stuff with team the agent, his family, like all this other stuff. And that was the biggest like game changer for him was understanding that it's about supporting that person outside of their zone of genius, right? And then the other thing you mentioned about Kobe, I just learned from an anecdote, someone on the USA team was talking about Kobe, of course, being in the gym before everybody else and staying after everybody else left. And just like for hours working on like one off the dribble move off the elbow, just one fundamental move constantly over and over and over again, maybe like a thousand times just one move. It's kind of like, why are you doing that? You're Kobe Bryant. Why do you need to work on that? But it's just those fundamentals, like you were talking about, the hiring, the training, the coaching, the managing. Uh, I see those parallels there. So I wanted to mention that, but it's really those, those fundamentals, right? Yeah. Those big fundamentals. 
Yeah. And I think what's interesting, two parts that I just love that you brought up, let's talk about the Kobe Bryant early and late in practice. And most people have heard that or seen that, or, you know, somebody who's operating at a, at a professional level, I think going back to people playing sales ops and, and playing at running a sales teams, I think there's a lot of people playing at sales. There's a lot of people, and this might trigger some people, but hopefully in a good way, hopefully to go, Oh, these guys, this resonates with me. I got to change something about my game. If I want different results, I feel there's a lot of people who are playing pickup basketball at the YMCA expecting NBA contract money. Right. They show up, they're playing around. They think if I put in the hours, if I mess around enough, I'm going to make the big money. I'm going to be, or maybe somebody's going to spot me and they're just going to move me up and I'm going to get drafted, right? Like, no, that doesn't work. And people do that in sales. I think, you know, if we look at, let's say the Super Bowl, for example, switch it up for football, because I think this is a good analogy too, mm -hmm. is think of all the prep, any sports, whatever you see on the field or on the court is a small percentage of their life every single week and their career lifetime, right? So they're preparing, preparing, preparing. When the game happens, they're in the game mode and it's autopilot and they're doing their thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of organizations and a lot of salespeople where they literally show up every day and jump into the Super Bowl with no prep and they're practicing in the game, right? Right. They're not practicing in advance. They're showing up and taking that lead or making that phone call, right? And I deal with a lot of industries where the leads are very expensive, whether it's a warm transfer or it's a lead that they're buying. Somebody filled out some information. There's high intent. Like sometimes I'm dealing with like $100, $200 leads. Like everything, every, every time I hand you this lead, that's $200. Good luck. And there's people who literally treat that like they're just going to show up for the Super Bowl and play. And now right. there's not enough practice. The downside is in sales, practice equals no revenue. Taking time of everyone off the floor to practice, to drill, to watch game footage, right? Listen to the replays, watch the demos, watch all those things. That equals no money. But I promise when you do those things, and if you're an individual contributor, do those things after work, before work, make yourself better always. Then when you show up, you have a better chance of succeeding. Very few people I see do that. They are, in my mind, sales professionals, not just salespeople who make a lot of money. I mean, sales professionals, like mm -hmm. actual professionals. And then the other part you said about the hitting coach and the, and the baseball coach, person who was working with Roger Clemens, is sales is so mental. The mm -hmm, toughest yeah. part of sales is that when you're successful, when you're amazing, you're still losing most of the time percentage-wise. Yep. And if you have any distractions outside of your life, if you have any drama, which people always do, it's called life. Right. Trust me, I've been there many times. <laughs> You're theoretically supposed to shut that off when you walk through the door and not let any of that bother you. And it's hard. At some mm -hmm. point, it's impossible. I've had times where I'm like, I should be able to shut this out, but literally I'm just breaking down. Like I cannot be effective on this call. I cannot pick up a phone to make another call. When I talk to someone, the energy is just not there. And you have to deal with it. You have to figure out how to be happy at home, successful enough, come in. Alter Ego is a great book. The one that you were referencing with the Black Mamba story in it. Yeah. Like that one's huge. Put on a persona, get into that character, shut everything else, get into game mode, and then just rock what you're doing, whether mm -hmm. it's at work or it's at home. Some people I know in the stories you said, it's like, I go from work mode, which is easy. And then I've got to switch at home mode into something different that's more effective for home. And I've got, I know people who literally come home, take a shower, change their clothes, switch to home mode. And now they're home person, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're in that family mode versus work mode. Awesome. And then um, just to finish that off, those fundamentals, hiring, training, coaching, managing, you, you'd lump in systems, software, and scripts with that too. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, that comes into the management and the systems and process that management's going to be running like a factory, like all of those parts that would, you know, are the factory machines and factory tools that then the people are using. Awesome. You have a new book, Selling with Authentic Persuasion. Can you tell us about, about that book? Yeah. So this was the culmination of 18 years in sales for a guy with a marine biology degree that grew up disliking people and in an analytical family where basically we, my parents hated salespeople and didn't trust them such that I literally chose, chose tagging sharks as the safest and best way to go in life versus people. Like that, that's the punchline of, of what I thought growing up. And then I fell into sales at 27. And then I found out I was pretty good at it from a persuasive consultative mode. And then I wanted to make a bigger impact, wanted to help more people. When I got into consulting, I wanted to write a book. And then Authentic Persuasion was born when I looked back at what I've seen successful for myself, hundreds and hundreds of people in, in telephone sales, hundreds and hundreds of people not successful, and, and what kind of rules and principles they broke and why they weren't successful. And it's really for it's really written for people like myself who fell into sales or think that either you have to be gross, Wolf of Wall Street boiler room to be successful in sales. Or you end up being an order taker, which is what the subtitle is, you know, transform from order taker to quota breaker. Mm-hmm. And so people end up on either spectrum, right? They're gross and pushy, or they're afraid of closing deals, but they really want to help people. And so this book is written to help them get in the middle and to see their job as a profession and treat it like such, and then win at that game and make more money, close more deals in a way that helps everybody, not just themselves, but their clients. Awesome. Is this primarily for individual contributors like quota carrying reps, managers? With this, yeah, with this I, I wrote it for the individuals. For individual salespeople, it could be solopreneurs, it could be you know somebody working at a company B2B, B2C. It's very general principle fundamentals that apply to everything, even overcoming objections, but it's geared towards the individual contributors. And then I have an ebook that's on Amazon that I published that's about motivating teams for leadership. And I'm writing more leadership books right now. Awesome. What's the name of that book? Uh, that one's a sales consultant's guide to motivating your team. They can win. And it's a, that one's available on Amazon. Or if anyone's listening to this, and we'll get to you know my contact information at the end. But if anyone listening to this, they want a, a free copy of that, I'll send them the PDF. Awesome. If there's any leaders listening and they want to help motivating their team, happy to send that out. Just anything to help. Very cool. And then selling with authentic persuasion, can you find that on Amazon too? Yeah. So that's on Amazon. There's a hard copy. There is a Kindle. And then I went through the fun air quotes process. Uh, it was quite a chore of doing the audible. It takes a lot of work to read a book without sounding like you're reading it. And uh, that was fun. It was, it was interesting. So that's available on there as well. And then I also have the book available directly through my site, jasoncutter.com. I also, there's a lot of companies that will buy it and I have group purchasing uh, options where they can buy it for their team. And I'll do some group uh, book club training and, and coaching sessions with them as well, depending on how big their team is. Very cool. What's the best way of people to get a hold of you if they're interested in working with you? The best way is to email me, jason at cutterconsultinggroup.com. Uh, so that works really well. Email me and uh, we can figure out how to work together or what, what it is that I can help with. Uh, and then anyone who wants more information, the best place to go, I mentioned it, is jasoncutter.com. So I've made that a hub because I have consulting, I have podcasts, I have books, I have training and speaking that I do. And so jasoncutter.com is a great place to start and then figure out what it is that I have, what can help you and how I can help you. Very cool. Jason Cutter, pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for having me, Morgan. All right. You have a good one.
If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening.